So I had a very troubling situation happen to me yesterday, Simone. What? So I was taking Rocket to the vet along with all my dogs because they need to get their vaccinations, <laughs> right? Don't we all? <laughs> so, right, exactly. So I go in and we got, you know, we're, we got the whole, the whole production trying to get three dogs in a car and drive them 20 minutes to bring to the vet. And the whole thing just gave me empathy for why parents have minivans, but that's a whole nother discussion. <laughs> but I go in there and I bring, I get all the dogs in there and the vet comes in and I'm like, hi, I'm Brianna. Very nice to meet you. And the and the the vet looks at me and goes, Brianna Wu? <gasps> I would know you anywhere. I'd know that voice anywhere. <gasps> I've listened to your podcast. And my first thought is fear because <laughs> there's so much content on this show <laughs> that proves I am not a responsible pet owner. So <laughs> I, and there was that whole episode where you just talked about how much you hate veterinarians. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that whole thing. So, yes, uh, shout out. It was great meeting you yesterday. Uh, thank you for watching the show. Anyway, uh, yeah. Wow. The intro thing. Yeah. <laughs> I guess you have to move now. Hello and welcome to Rocket Accelerated Geek Conversation. This episode is brought to you by Privacy and Pingdom and PDF Pen from Smile. I'm Simone de Rochefort, senior video producer at Polygon, and I'm sitting up straight today to support my voice box. <laughs> I'm joined by Brianna Wu, executive director of the Rebellion Pack and dog owner responsible responsible, responsible pet. it's what i've always owner. said about you yes. the day we met i said this is a responsible pet owner yeah she takes care of dogs i can just tell um christina warren it as we were preparing to record the show comcast did her a big dirty and took her internet away <laughs> So the remainder of this the week's episode will just be a screed against podcast. We need our Christina Warren. Like, like, don't mess with that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And luckily for us, Brie, we've got two of the like har- biggest, hardest tech topics <laughs> <laughs> that we could possibly cover on a Christina this week. She may join us later. We're going to find out. Um, but they are some really big, exciting stories. So why don't we get going? Oh, this one is a sad one. This one hits really close to home for us here on on Rocket. Uh, Regrettably, Intel's latest flagship chip is not so great. Uh, It is, unfortunately, codenamed Rocket Lake S. I don't know (laughs) if they... We were rooting for it. (laughs) We were rooting for you. (laughs) Did they... I mean, were they trying to shout us out? Like, is that what went wrong here, Intel? I don't know. Okay, anyway. We wish we could love it. However, reviews are in now for the uh, 11900K chip. Um, and it is not doing so great. Uh, that no. is not good for Intel because this comes at a time when AMD, as we have mentioned a few times on the show, they have made huge leaps in their own chip performance with the Ryzen series, which leaves Intel in this weird position where, like, obviously they have this incredible legacy. They're still one of the big chip producers out there, but they're just increasingly being gained upon by all of the competition. Uh, So this latest chip, these are still 14 nanometers, like the last seven iterations of Intel chips, although they have a new Cypress Cove architecture. However, 
that new architecture limits the 11900 uh, up to to eight cores and 16 threads, uh, where the Comet Lake i9 models had 10 cores and AMD's Ryzen uh, 5950X flagship has 16 cores. So it's just not competitive in what is right now an extremely competitive space where huge advances are being made. Um, And this is just exactly like not what Intel needs at this moment. Brie, as a developer and a gamer, (laughs) what are are your thoughts on the chip? I mean, you know, uh, so I just built my $7,000 ultra computer and I've, I've always been an Intel, like, like I've always stuck with Intel. And part of it is I'm old enough to remember when AMD, produced basically Intel clones that were not as good Mm. and were buggy and the instruction sets like caused problems. Like this was a long time ago, but I've kind of always had that impression. Uh, It's 2021. Things change. And, uh, you know, the reviews of Rocket Lake have been unbelievably brutal. One very uh, credible reviewer called it quote, a waste of sand. <laughs> Just, that's a little harsh. Uh, you know, uh, Jay-Z Two Cents, who's a very, uh, very respected uh, PC part reviewer on YouTube, uh, came out and just flat out said, uh, Intel can't beat AMD anymore. It's just that simple. Mm. So he actually got an AMD chip Literally the exact same nanometer, same number of cores, same everything, point by point by point, as the Intel, the new Rocket Lake, mm. and made sure the the board on it was like treating them both the same. The power draw was going to be as roughly equal as it could, and just flat out put the you know the uh, five hundred and sixty nine dollar Intel product up against the identical AMD product. And in almost every single case, just completely, completely obliterated it and Ouch. blew it out of the water, right? So this is really bad. Yeah, yeah. that kind of reminds me of, I think, before Apple's M1 chips came out when we're just looking purely at the specs. I think a lot of people, including us, were like, ah, I don't know, just purely looking at the cores and everything. I don't know how this is going to perform. But then in practice it does end up performing well, despite maybe on paper not appearing as competitive. Mm -hmm. And it seems like with these Intel chips, the like physical architecture just isn't there. Like, Right. The, yeah. And, the- and part of it is, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, in tech, like the, in my opinion, the best technical review site on the internet, they were looking at this and they're like, look, yeah, the 14 uh, nanometer, uh, a roadmap for Intel. This is the last iteration of it. And they kind of likened it to uh, when life gives you lemons, you make lemonade. And they tried to do the very best uh, job out of this. And, you know, so reviewers have been comparing, uh, you know, obviously AMD to Intel because that's the competitive, like that's the competition, right? Mm-hmm. That's your choice as a consumer. They did just to be fair to Intel here. They were they were talking in a little bit more depth about how boxed in uh, Intel is by the current state of you know the fourteen nanometer roadmap and the mm-hmm. place that they are. Uh, and they did a lot to 
optimize uh, the power draw in certain scenarios. They got rid of all these weird edge cases where, you know, uh, running on one socket instead of two uh, would actually lead to a faster result with AMD. They did a lot to, like, close the gap. But even though it's a closer game, they're still absolutely gang dominated. And what I think is so interesting is the way uh, Intel uh, responded to this news. So they <laughs> came out this week on the same week their their new flagship rocket like chip dropped and you'd think they'd been talking about that and no they're just radio silent on this oh, and no. talking about all the products for intel's future so if you actually google intel like that's all that's going to be in the news this week is their ceo talking about that i remember yeah because when i was reading up on this there was talk that like they do have new chips around the corner and why is this being released now and they're doing 10 nanometer <laughs> like th this is not the 14 nanometer format is not going to continue so i don't know the feeling was that this is a weird time to release a chip that is underperforming compared to all of intel's peers and why not just wait do you have any insight on that is it like with phones where they just have to have something that comes out well, I would imagine, you know, these deals are struck uh, very far ahead of time. Like, let's look at GPUs, right? One of the easiest ways to get my GPU, the RTX 3090, is to buy a PC made by a major manufacturer because they have deals set up ahead of time to get those parts. Um, I don't think it's it's as easy as that. It's just punting down the road. Mm -hmm. One of the biggest uh, consumers for Intel is Enterprise Solutions. So, you know, it's kind of like if they have a chip out, even if it makes sense to like punt on it, they kind of got to keep things mm -hmm. coming through the pipe. So that's why I suspect this is. And look, let's be real here. Uh, you know, the, the right now, currently, there are more important things in the world than, you know, uh, a slightly faster chip. Mm -hmm. If you look at the reasons, like ecologically, for, uh, you know, us uh, not having access to graphics cards and the recent fab production has slowed down so much, you know, it's basically the, the effects of global warming. They've destroyed yeah. some of the factories and their access to water. So, uh, you know, it's not just Intel feeling the effects of this. It, it's graphic card manufacturers. It's, it's everything across the, the PC production line. So there it is. Now I wrote, I believe in our end of year 2020 episode, we had a category for most effed company of 2020. <laughs> and I think Intel was nominated for that. Yes. And I believe I nominated them. But yeah, I, I think you did nominate yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. Do you, but we did not choose them for the most effed company. I, <laughs> I don't remember our own podcast contest results. <laughs> I should have checked up on this, but I believe the uh, Kiwi, the company that uh, made Cellmate, was the company that was the most effed. Do you do you think that this development is an argument for Intel reclaiming the title or claiming the title of most effed in 2021? Or do you think that do you think that they're gonna pull it out with the next generation of chips? I, I, I have no faith in them. I, no? I don't. And it's it's hard to not feel like 
There are companies like Oracle that is increasingly moving into the enterprise space and they're going to have enterprise customers and that's mm-hmm. going to be a very healthy pipeline. You know, Until for their you enterprise I, customers start making their own chips. Right. Well, that's true. <laughs> like Apple. Uh, fair enough. You know, uh, I, I think... I think for people that build PCs, I think AMT is just going to continue to dominate for the ultra high end space. Threadripper is just freaking amazing. We should do a show on Threadripper sometime. Um, and you know, Apple of course is going their own way. So, Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I wouldn't say they're an F company. I think that they've just, it's kind of like when IBM was the only computer in town, and nowadays they are a company you barely think about. I think, unfortunately, Intel is heading that way. That kind of sounds effed to me, but I, <laughs> I will see what happens. This episode of Rocket is brought to you by Privacy.com. Oh, boy. Bree, do you have a time that you've worried about financial privacy online? Oh, my God. Every single second of every day. (laughs) Are you kidding me? Nope. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure. And definitely myself as well, especially this last year as I continue to be an online shopping addict. I guess this is where we are. Um, My lights did arrive, by the way. Hey, now, if you're like me and you've been spending the last year continually just buying things online and perhaps clicking on Instagram ads that you shouldn't, let me put your mind at ease. (laughs) Privacy is a tool that makes it easy to manage your financial lives online while keeping your most important information secure. By generating virtual numbers, privacy masks your bank information so you never have to worry about giving it out to people that you don't know online, including, say, your landlord on your rent payment portal or that fun dress vendor that you found on Instagram or even Best Buy. (laughs) You never know. You never know who's going to get hacked and be storing your credit card number unhashed in a box. Not that Best Buy would do that, but you never know. So (laughs) privacy is really great. Uh, I am using it now. Our own Christina Warren is using it now. It makes it super easy to just like generate fake numbers that you can give to vendors so that you they don't have your real numbers. Uh, And I like the simplicity of that. I like just not thinking about that. Um, and then also just having access to those virtual numbers in my browser to make it easy to buy stuff. So that's cool. <laughs> I think my favorite part of this is how many times have you signed up for a subscription service and you're like, yes, ah, just not sure I want to do that. Like privacy will let you create a virtual credit card, which is, you know, it's linked. And then that is the credit card tied to a service. You know, just this week, Facebook leaked, what is it? 531 million. Did they? Uh, yeah. 531 million records, including phone numbers for people. That's just this week. And, you know, so on top of like having finer control over being able to say like, bloop, that credit card is gone, you know, setting up new ones. It just seems like a slam dunk to me. Yeah, I wouldn't have a Hulu subscription right now. The one that I forgot (laughs) to cancel, but from back in the summer, if I had had privacy at that time, save your save your life, take back control of your payments, decide who can charge your card, how much and how often and close cards at any time. Plus, you can never make you can make sure that you are never 
accidentally billed twice or upgraded to another service without your consent. And Privacy is partnered with the good folks at 1Password, who we also enjoy. Uh, you can create, use, and save privacy cards directly within your 1Password dashboard. And all virtual cards created in 1Password will have the same security benefits as your other privacy cards. You can set spend limits, create single-use or merchant-locked cards whenever you want. That's what Bree was talking about. You want to p- buy a little Hulu? Pay for a little bit of Hulu? Boom, make your Hulu card. Then cancel it when you want to be done with it. When you're finished watching The Terror, a show you should watch. Head to privacy.com slash rocket and sign up for an account. New customers will automatically get $5 to spend on your first purchase. Go to privacy.com slash rocket and sign up now. Our thanks to Privacy for their support of this show and Relay FM. I really love them. They're one of our, uh, I love all of our sponsors, but I particularly love Privacy. Well, I, you better say that about the rest of them or they're going to get jealous free. <laughs> they're going to, they're all going to listen to these. Uh, let's do our little like fun intermediary dessert. Now, okay. uh, last week, uh, as you might know, if you are a Mario lover, uh, he died. <laughs> Nintendo had been selling Super Mario 3D All-Stars on uh, the Switch store. And they said way back when they started, when they brought this out, like, this is going to go offline March 30. It was either the 30th or the 31st. Remind me which one it was. Uh, Well, it would have been probably the 31st, I guess. That makes perfect sense. They said this is going to go. We're going to take it away from you. You can buy it now. But then we're putting it back in the vault. Last chance, suckers. Last chance, gamers. Um, And lo and behold, when that day did come, they took Mario away. And he is no longer for sale on the (laughs) Switch store. Uh, And, of course, as foreseen by uh, anyone who knows how these things work, in the wake of Mario's death and no longer being able to purchase Super Mario 3D All-Stars, scalpers have stepped in. Uh, and physical copies of these of this these games, which are very hard to find, are going for you said like ten thousand dollars. Oh yeah, on there are eBay? people trying to sell them for more than that. And and just to give listeners a little bit of background, uh, Super Mario 3D All Stars. It's kind of a sequel to the game I speed run the most, which is Super Mario All Stars. Super Mario All Stars was an SNES compilation of a bunch of NES games that updated the graphics slightly to Super Mario One Two three and lost levels and kind of uh, put it in this nice little compilation uh, that is one of the best-selling games for the system. That's how they did it back in the 90s. <laughs> Today, in Nintendo's infinite wisdom, when they sell this uh, so Super Mario 3D All-Stars, it is uh, Super Mario Sunshine, Super Mario 64, and Super Mario Galaxy. Now when they sell all three of those games, of course, they only leave it up for a month and then uh, stop selling it, <laughs> meaning meaning. You basically, if you didn't download it to your Switch account in that very limited amount of time, uh, you're not going to have it. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, it yeah remi- it's, it's exactly it like what Disney yeah. used to do back in the day with the uh, Disney uh, VHSs going back in the Disney vault, uh, which is such a classic Nintendo playbook thing as well, because we know from Amiibo production um and maybe not switch production since genuinely there are supply chain issues now but nintendo has always kind of dealt in artificial scarcity and like this cachet of this is going to be a thing 
you know, it's going to be good because we're a Nintendo. You're going to love it because you're a little fan and you'll buy whatever we put out. Um, and also, you're not going to be able to find it. They love to do this. And this is just sort of a growth of that that harkens back to what Disney used to do with their movies um, when they would only when they would like bring them out every 10 years and like you could you had your $10, one chance dollars ten thousand dollars to play that that feels new to me because i don't know 64 would you do it <laughs> no well i bought because you have it already copy, so i'm good yeah yeah um also it's not my favorite mario but i mean there are people out there i mean uh, go look at the ebay listings there are people buying this they they think it's going to be like worth something and honestly if i'd paid more attention to the story i would have stockpiled copies of this because of course it's going to go up well the thing that makes me mad (laughs) for myself is that I was like preparing uh, videos to go up on the day that this got taken out of the store because, you know, we have a couple of videos about Nintendo, one about artificial scarcity and their why their stuff basically never loses its value. Unlike other games, which go in the bargain bin like a month after release, you'll probably still be paying full price for Breath of the Wild or maybe like maybe you'll get $10 off Breath of the Wild because that's just how Nintendo rolls. Um, We had a video about that that I was just clipping down for social. And I put all these videos up on social. I did all this. I subtitled them and everything. And then I did not buy Super Mario (laughs) 3D All-Stars. And immediately, the day after, I woke up and I was like, you fool. What were (laughs) you... You could have just bought it just to have it. Like... Even though I, those aren't like my favorite games, you know, it's not really my style, but just to have them on the Switch, you fool, what were you thinking? So I, I could be the <laughs> the, the person, the victim, the scalping I'll victim. I'll $10,000, Simone. Yeah, please, it. Rocket listeners, do not give me $10,000. I will not spend it on Super Mario 3D All-Stars. I will use it to buy an apartment. Um I think th- I don't know. This just goes to show I think how how nefarious a tactic it is too. Because me, a person who would not necessarily even enjoy those games, I feel like I should have bought them. I feel yeah. like I should have spent that money. Yeah. Um. Because it ju- it just works. It's that it's that scarcity mindset where you're like it's going away. I should have it. So two things. First, um, I actually ended up buying... So my second favorite Mario game of all time is Super Mario 3D World, which is the only other game to star Princess Peach, and she has her float mechanic. That was just released a couple months ago. It is excellent. And I actually read the story and got paranoid, even though Nintendo has not said we have any plans to take down Bowser's Fury. I went and bought a second copy just in case. (laughs) Because if I lose that game, I will die. I love that game. It's amazing. I'm not paying $10,000 for it. That's part one. The other part of this is I legitimately, Simone, don't Mm -hmm. know what company is worse, Nintendo or Sony. Because (gasps) Nintendo has this beautiful back catalog of games. And as you said, they've been playing the scarcity game since the NES days. Uh, In fact, one of the reasons Sega was able to get a foothold in the American market was because Nintendo pissed off retailers so frequently by (laughs) doing these same games with uh, supply and limiting it to them. So you've got Nintendo that just 
uh, abuses the nostalgia all of us have for games like Mario 64 to cash in on it in ways that are increasingly cynical. That's evil. But then on the other side, you've got Sony, which does not give a flying f- oh yeah about any anything they've ever done ever as exemplified by the playstation classic right like this piece of crap bad emulation worse than a raspberry pi like the the games that made the original sony playstation so when's the last time you thought about ridge racer like 20 years ago (laughs) right battle arena toshinden uh siphon filter uh jumping jack flash all of these games they are amazing games and and sony is just actively saying you know what you want those games f you (laughs) if you want to go play original parasite eve why don't you go get a playstation 3 even though we're about to deactivate that store and you can play that because that's literally the most modern way (laughs) to to experience yes that's exactly what i thought of when when you mentioned sony too and i i do think that they are probably worse in this instance uh listeners if you're not up to date not only does Sony just, not only are they just not good at bringing their games out for new consoles, they are also, yes, closing the uh, PS3 and Vita stores this summer. And with basically, I mean, they, they've warned us now, but uh, developers were not really given much warning when the nope. before this announcement came out. So you can buy those games now. I think you'll still be able to download them after the store closes. But it's just like, oh, boy, we have such a problem with archiving in this community. And at least I, I kind of I trust Nintendo to have those games locked up, like even if they're not selling them i trust them to archive them properly and re-release them every i don't know 15 years to make a million dollars off of people i don't know that i would trust another company to be so um protective of their their ip in 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 the archival sense does that make sense to you no i completely agree and yeah my opinion is these are works of art I mean, they are. They're priceless works of art. I mean, the original Siphon Filter is a problematic game, but it's certainly a historically important game. Ridge Racer certainly is a very important game historically. Like, this is stuff that deserves being archived and and treasured. Mm -hmm. And I just think it's a shame. So, uh, honestly, a pox on both of these companies. (laughs) There we go. Uh, This episode of Rocket is also brought to you by... Kingdom from Solar Winds. If you have a website, what purpose does it serve? Whether it's driving sales of your products, collecting sales leads for your business, or providing customer service with a contact form, when these critical transactions fail, you lose out on business. Not to mention the bad experience for your users. But there is a solution. Transaction monitoring from Pingdom. Starting at just $10 a month, transaction monitoring runs checks 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and will alert you when cart checkout forms or login pages fail before they affect your customers and your business. 
Pingdom will notify you the moment there is a failure. It'll do that over SMS, email, or via your favorite apps like Slack, Ops Genie, and PagerDuty. They've got all of their bases covered. Uh, depending on what's being monitored or the severity of the outage, you can customize who is alerted and how they get the notification. Don't let your users discover a problem on your website. You must conceal all weaknesses from them or they will kill you. You should be the first person to know if your website is broken in some way. And it is super easy to get started. Just go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now for a 30-day free trial with no credit card required. And then when you're ready to buy, use code ROCKET at checkout to get a huge 30% off your first invoice. That is, again, pingdom.com slash RelayFM for the 30-day trial. And then when you're ready to buy, the code ROCKET for 30% off. Thank you, Pingdom uh, from SolarWinds, for their support of this show and RelayFM. Ba-da-da-da! All right, let's have a moment of silence for Christina, who I know was super excited to talk about this tonight. <laughs> um, Spectrum, curse you, curse your name, bring her back to us. There was a resolution this week in the Google versus Oracle case. The Supreme Court ruled 6-2 in favor of Google in Oracle's lawsuit against Google for Google's use of code from the Java API in Android. Uh, the basic question the court was debating was, if we just accept that code can be copyrightable, this was one issue, can the code be copyrighted? And also, is Google's use of it fair use? The way the court basically approached this was, we're not going to talk about whether or not this can be copyrighted. <laughs> we're busy. But assuming it is, is what Google did fair use? And the judges said, yes, it was fair use. Justice Breyer wrote the decision. Um, and that was, that was basically that, uh, Google's argument, uh, successful argument was basically every, so many programmers are familiar with Java. It makes sense to us to use this API to bring, use this code from the API, because that's just going to make it easier for everyone to understand what they're doing and um, not get into the nitty gritty of implementing new code. And this allows us to create new products. And the Supreme Court was like, yeah, that sounds great. Consumers love this. Um, Oracle's argument was that, hey, <laughs> this is our code. Um, and letting Google kind of go ham with this 11,500 lines of code allowed them to become too powerful and therefore made it harder for other companies to succeed. Oracle had some allies in this case. Uh, I was just reading the THR uh, Hollywood Reporter article before this podcast about how the Motion Picture Association of America was actually on Oracle's side in this case because oh. they're very concerned. Oh, yeah. I yeah. Can see that. In yeah. a way that I, I, I don't, we'll, we'll get into it. Um, but their concern on paper was basically now, if you're saying that they can take this, that fair use in this case means taking this, we can take this code and make new products and the new products have value for consumers. Therefore, this is fair use. That becomes tricky with films because if you make a film that refer that uses material from another film, 
that does create new products. It could create new franchises. It can create reviews. It can create YouTube videos. It can create podcasts. Like you, you have products that for consumers that result out of that. Um, but we'll talk about that in good time. What did you think of this decision, Brianna? So, so can I tell you a secret, Simone? Yeah. Okay. Don't tell anyone this. Okay. Most of programming is going on to Stack Overflow <laughs> and looking at other people's code and literally copying and pasting it into your own program. Oh, <laughs> Every no! programmer in the entire freaking <laughs> world does this. I can't tell you how many times I've been like, oh, I can't get my memory to work here. Oh, it's oh no. What do I do? Copy, paste. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone does this. I'm sorry. Sometimes you refactor it a little to make it or, or put it in your own style. But this is just programming. Okay. Now, yep. I want to be clear. This is a bigger example. You know, this was about 11,000 lines of code about something that literally could not be done any other way. But still, it was only about 0.4% of the entire code base. And, you know, I, I really think about this. If you set the precedent that, you know, like, is there a fair use concept in, in basically writing code? Like, can you take bits and pieces of it to do very small functions? Like, imagine if someone said no. Imagine what that would do to Ugh. programming. In that particular example, the 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 person getting that answer from Stack Overflow would have to be worried because it would introduce legal liability from just googling a problem and then using the solution to yeah. that problem in their own code. Um, I realize this is a bit of a hot button topic, but you know Frank does patent law for a living, biotech patent law. I don't agree with my husband because I think a lot of what big pharma does in regards to patenting drugs is wildly unethical. But that said, I I do think that there's an argument to be made for patenting like uh, certain like things that you spend multi-million dollars developing. That makes sense to me. That seems like a very like this is our delivery system. This is how we produce it. These are the steps we take in production. That makes sense to me for a patent. For programming, you're essentially talking about math. Mm -hmm. And I don't think you should be able to patent math. Should like stealing an entire code base and just rejiggering a few things, that's obviously not fair use. But I think in this particular case, um, very clearly fair use, which is why I and I think most developers looked at this and we're, we're very much on board. Does that make sense to you? That makes total sense to me. And I, f I know Christina would say this if she were here because she was so excited about this. Justice Breyer did apparently like go and learn a bit of Java um, in like in over the course of this case, uh, which is super cool. Um, and I I, I would imagine that that kind of understanding of how ubiquitous Java is mm -hmm. uh, played into this. And yeah, I, I agree with your, your basic premise, which is I, it, it just it does it does seem fair to me. And I think the argument of, well, this allowed Google to become too powerful and is making it harder for other companies doesn't make sense because other companies theoretically could also 
take advantage of Java in the same way that Google did in this instance. Um, which, you know, <laughs> whatever you feel about that is how you feel. But it, yeah, I, I was definitely uh, on the side, quote unquote, of Google in this instance. I think I, it, I think we need to uh, the question of what is fair use in 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 software development that is a good question. Yes. And that's something we should adjudicate and develop further jurisprudence on. That is a very good question. And but this is a kind of threshold, a function that can only be done the way that it's done in the API that mm-hmm. represents 0.4% of the code base, that seems like a reasonable place to start. And to your earlier point about the, the motion picture association, let's not forget, they've tried to pull some real shenanigans yeah. with people like doing memes and pulling a few frames from a film, which I'm sorry, it's fair use. I feel very strongly that overall, um, copyright has been very... The, the the practice of it overall has been far too strict in interpretation with endless mm-hmm. copyright and, and, and copyright strikes on YouTube when people are just trying to report things. Um, and I'm, I was very glad to see this narrow definition uh, carried through. Yeah, there it is. It raised some interesting debates, um, I think, because cre- uh, fair use has generally been uh used in discussing creative works and it kind of raised the issue of is programming a creative work which i personally think it is like as much as you just pointed out it relies on math um and pre-established things that work i do think there is a lot of creativity that goes into it do you agree with that Absolutely. I mean, not even a question. It's like asking if video games are art, right? Yeah. Of course they are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And to me, that's just such a, a boring question because it's like, why police the definition of art? Like, that's such a broad conversation that it becomes completely uninteresting to have. <laughs> and I don't think there's a human being on earth that's qualified to be like, but what is art really? <laughs> Like at that point, why are we even talking? Um, yeah, and when it, I don't know, when it comes, as you said, Hollywood is very litigious about uh, their IPs. And to me, I just really don't see an issue with it because to me, there is just something fundamentally different to like when you're pulling like you said 0.4% uh, 1.4% of your code base is from the java api that's fundamentally different from like pulling a scene recreating a scene shot by shot mm-hmm. from someone's film or uh doing dialogue like word perfect from another film or from a book or whatever um I don't know, because it would constitute such a such a larger part of that thing, and b films and books aren't functional in the same way that that coding is. Does that make sense? Like things yeah, work no. certain ways, and there are think, no rules like that down. for film or for book for writing. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, hey. This episode of Rocket is brought to you by PDF Pen from our friends at Smile. Does your PDF editor allow you to secure documents? 
do OCR scanning, fill out and sign forms? Does it allow you to do all of that on the go and at a low cost? Well, PDF Pen does. PDF Pen is the all-purpose PDF editor that allows you to improve your workflow and productivity, add signatures, text, and images, make changes, and correct typos to your PDFs. You can do anything you want to them. Uh, Now, Brianna, have you personally, have you found improvements in your workflow with PDF Pen? Oh my God! It is it is one of these programs you just absolutely have to uh, have to have. Can I give you an example? Yeah. Of something I used it for very recently. So um, earlier this year, my father in law had a stroke and and passed. And uh, in dealing with the will and the you know all the aftermath of having a family member die, uh, we had to sign a lot of legal mm. documents. Um, PDF Pen Pro was literally the thing that saved our bacon, not just because it allowed us to automate so many of the things, but there were a lot of weird kinds of forms that <sighs> were not even openable with uh, you know, Adobe Acrobat. Like we had full-fledged Adobe Acrobat and PDF Pen Pro was the only thing that could open it up and allow us to like fill out these forms for you know, the, the government for hospitals, for things like that. So it is, it is truly a Swiss army knife of PDFs. What you've always wanted. If you work at all with PDFs, you need PDF pen and you can keep everything synced as well because PDF pen and PDF pen pro work with PDF pen for iPad and iPhone for seamless editing across devices with cloud services, such as iCloud, Dropbox, Google Drive, OneDrive, etc. You can learn more about PDF Pen and PDF Pen Pro at pdfpen.com slash podcast. That's pdfpen.com slash podcast. Our thanks to PDF Pen from Smile for their support of this show and Relay FM. Oh yeah. <laughs> Now, we have an exciting topic for our dessert today. Brianna, you had a thread on April Fool's Day that promised a sort of Scamtown-esque carnival of delights involving disgraced uh, representative Matt Gates. Well, not him so much. He's part of it, yes. But, uh, yeah, as you all know, here on Rocket, we love a good we scam. We love it. We are, we are, we are, we are, we, mm, I, I have language I can use. I won't. We, we enjoy scams. <laughs> Frightening. <laughs> and, and this scam came out. And I have to tell you, this is, this is Zola level. It's not quite as good as Zola. But I did a thread on Twitter telling the story about how Republican uh, Representative Matt Gates uh, became a target of the Trump Justice Department. And this isn't a political story as much as it's a tech story. So um, just no matter what your political leanings, just, just hold on, because this is this is just about the wildest story you're ever going to hear in your life. So Simone, yes, 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 yes. I want to tell you a story. So in Orlando, around 2016, Orlando had an election, a little bit north, uh, northeast of Orlando in Seminole County, and they decided they weren't super happy with their uh, tax collector. Okay. So they elected a 
Right, right. They elected a new guy, and he was a 31-year-old. His name was Joel Greenberg. And I have to tell you, the, the corruption, I know you have thought you've seen corruption coming mm-hmm. out of Washington, <laughs> but the stuff he did is absolutely going to blow your mind. All right. So the very first thing he does, he gets into office. Yeah, first thing he does is he goes and fires a bunch of people and blows (gasps) $1.9 million hiring all the groomsmen (gasps) from his wedding (laughs) to come work in the office with him. I'm sitting up straighter. Right. So $1.9 million hiring all these people. And then, you know, you got your bros with you, right? You got your friends, you got mm-hmm, your pals yeah. there. So my entourage. Uh, I, I, I should just say this is all according to the indictment. He's currently in jail for this, innocent until proven guilty, but this is what he's under arrest for. So uh, then you got your friends there. You got to do something with your friends. And what do bros in Florida like to spend money on? Body armor, oh. guns, ammo, and a freaking drone. Oh. So he spends $384,000 of taxpayer money. Matt Gates, good foul, does on all those things. <gasps> and then he says, hey, y'all, know what? From now on, you got to wear guns to the office. <gasps> so you've got the tax collector division oh. that has spent $384,000 on body armor and guns. Oh, no. And they've got their like tax collector badge. And then they're, they're wearing their guns to the office to do all the tax collection stuff. That's so embarrassing so, for them. So, okay. And then... And then Matt Gates's friend, uh, uh, Joel Greenberg, goes and says, you know what? I'm not having enough fun here. You know what this taxpayer office needs? We need some blockchain company up in here. No. So <laughs> then he goes and spends $65,860 of taxpayer money oh. on computer equipment for his private blockchain company, which runs inside the office. So, Simone, you know this from your opinions on NFTs. Uh, When you're doing blockchain and, uh, uh, you know, blockchain stuff, what what resource does that consume a lot of? It's electricity, Brianna. A lot of electricity, which, by the way, the taxpayers would be paying for. Of course, of course. (laughs) No, it's my honor to pay for it. (laughs) Right, of course. So then, in the middle of doing all of this and setting up all the computer equipment, the guy sets the freaking taxpayer (gasps) office on fire. No! It goes up in flames. And I forget the exact number, but there was a massive amount of fire damage that taxpayers also had to pay for. How many chips did we losing this fire (laughs) it was a lot of it okay so that's just that's just kind of a a background on joel greenberg here's where it gets weird no (laughs) (laughs) so then the joel greenberg he's running the office in a certain way Uh other people down in seminole county they're like maybe i should run against him (laughs) <laughs> maybe I could do a better job as tax collector. Hmm. So hmm. Uh, I got a question for you, Simone. Do you think, A, 
Joel Greenberg uh, uh, started debating this man on the merits and presenting a case to voters? Or do you think he worked with uh, Roger Stone, uh, a convicted felon Roger Stone, to run a Gamergate uh, disinformation campaign <laughs> against him? A or B? Which one uh, are you Oh, oh I think it's going to be B. It is B. <laughs> gotcha. <Sadly. laughs> so he gets an entire disinformation set up with bots and oh. sock puppets, smearing his opponent as a white supremacist oh. and accusing him of rape. <gasps> so this is when the FBI decides to get involved oh. because they're looking at these sock puppet accounts and they, you know, they're the FBI. Bloop, bloop, bloop. Look up the IP address. Oh, my God. The, the <laughs> women accusing him of this are all coming from Joel Greenberg's house. Oh, no. So they go down. The FBI goes down and knocks on his door. And here's, here's what they found. Because it got a lot bigger. It got worse from oh, here. From no. him. So just, okay, going forward, let me do a temperature check. Scale of one to ten, how good Scamtown content is this? This what, is what pitch you... perfect Scamtown content. I'm not even going to is... let you finish your sentence because yeah. this already has like corrupt government officials and Bitcoin and an absurd amount of guns and a drone, yep. which yeah, drone. I, what did they even do with it? I don't know. Right. I hope that they had a fun time. Except <laughs> they don't because these people sound like they suck. Um, continue okay. on. We're going I'm excited crazy to see what happens outer next. space. Yes, we're going to outer space right now. So FBI... Uh-oh. Knocks on his door. What did they find in the FBI raid? They find three fake IDs in Joel Greenberg's <laughs> wallet and the materials to manufacture even more fake oh. IDs. So okay. where did he get all the materials to make all these fake IDs? Well, it turns out that being tax collector sometimes people have to come in and surrender their licenses to <gasps> you so people would come down to the office and they're like okay here he goes the court mandated here's my license so i can't leave the state uh here you go and he would actually pretend to <gasps> destroy them and use those materials to turn into fake ids his own people in the office testified against him saying he would go over to the shredder and would pretend to shred it and then he would do whatever he wanted with oh, it oh no so um, and again, just good point to remember, innocent until proven guilty. These are allegations, but there it is. Anyway, this is where the sex trafficking no! charges <laughs> come into the picture. So who really needs fake IDs, Simone? Uh, criminals. <laughs> criminals, but also people underage. Um, oh, yeah. So oh, no. He, he had been using, <laughs> this is so bad. This is, he had been using the state database <gasps> to find the state, like, database of everybody. And he would go on there and he would, he would look for information about girls from 14 to 17 years old. Holy cow. And then that state database would have all of this information in it, like their contact information, you know, uh, all this stuff. And he would go target them. And he would form uh, what uh, the Orlando Sentinel uh, described as sugar daddy relationships with them. 
And uh, so he would literally use his database, get their photos, their vehicle information. And then, again, according to the indictment, uh, he would give the girls gifts in exchange for, quote, companionship, unquote. Uh, Okay, you can interpret that as you will. Anyway, the whole reason he was collecting all of these fake IDs was to give the girls uh, identification so he could fly them all around the country and traffic them across state lines. Basically, the indictment says he had turned this into an operation, a complete operation for commercial sex acts, uh, basically with underage girls. Um, Now, He's in jail now, thank God. Uh, as of uh, uh, March 31st, the same day <laughs> Nintendo delisted Oh, wow, Mario. the same day Mario died? Is that a coincidence? Yeah, I think right. not. He was- he was also uh, uh, he was also indicted again on that day. Um, but this brings us to Matt Gates uh, and why he has come under scrutiny as well. Um, and I think it's really important to remember here, this isn't the Biden Justice Department that uh, initiated the the, 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 mm-hmm. the investigation into Congressman Gates. This was William Barr. William Barr, really not historically known for someone uh, <laughs> unwilling to do a favor for someone the Trump administration mm-hmm. accused of a crime, right? Not historically but, known for having a spine. Right, right. Uh, but apparently decided this had so much merit he he would actually uh it was reported um he would find out that congressman gates would be coming to a meeting he knew he was going to ask him for a pardon and for leniency and to drop the case and Barr would actually just not show up at the meeting that's how uh serious it would seem he found these charges to be uh it's also important to note that these kinds of sex trafficking cases this isn't like an esoteric prosecution, something like, uh, say, insurrection that's only done rarely. Uh, these kind of cases are frequently prosecuted and usually carry very aggressive uh, sentencing. So, you know, Gates, it's kind of all in the same ballpark, right? Mm-hmm, like the stories, mm-hmm. and it's important to remember he has not been charged with a crime, but the story is he was also caught up in uh, basically sex trafficking with underage girls across state lines, companionship in exchange for favor. Mm-hmm. Um, like on trips else, with Joel Greenberg or just like Joel separately? Greenberg is a very good friend of his. Yeah. Uh, there are all kinds of pictures of them. The two are linked together and think about it from Joel Greenberg's point of view. Uh, if he wants to lessen the charges, he needs to give up someone <gasps> higher up the food chain, uh, which if there's dirt to be found and again, has not been charged with a crime, but there's dirt to be found. That's going to be Matt Gates. Um, we also have to remember this bizarre story about Nestor uh, that came out. Uh, so Nestor, a few months ago, um, people noticed these pictures of a child that was living with uh, Matt Gates. Uh, his name was Nestor. He had started living with Gates, according to reporting, around the age of 12. He is 19 now. And uh, Gates said, oh, he's my son. He's my son. Uh, I've adopted him. There's no formal records of adopting uh, whatsoever. It seems like Gates was dating uh, his uh, sister. And then in the course of this, Nestor came to 
uh, come live with him at some point, which is, um, as someone who's adopted, I think that's a, a strange situation. Yeah, um, that's messed up. So anyway, there it is, Simone, kind of the entire story of of uh, Joel Greenberg and how Matt Gates got drawn into it. Do you, do, do you have any thoughts on this? I feel like that could be a whole like 10 episode podcast miniseries. And, you know, it it peeves me (laughs) saying that that's the P word that was definitely always going to come out of my mouth. Peeves me. Why? (sighs) It makes me so mad that these people view public office as purely like their opportunity to just have the most fun with guns and money that doesn't belong to them. It just, uh, it makes me so mad. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I'm mad at anyone who takes advantage of people in that way. But if you're a cutthroat businessman who's, like, doing it in your own business, you know, you've, you're evil and you've built something. If you're like, oh, I'm just going to slide into public office and lie to people and use taxpayer dollars and buy a fun drone and start a Bitcoin company uh, as a public servant, uh, you suck so much. You <laughs> suck. And this guy sounds like he allegedly sucks. Yeah, I have to agree with that. I Running for office, I cannot tell you, Simone, how many times a situation came up, uh, you know, with fundraising or something like that. And yeah, we worked so hard and turned down so much money to avoid even the appearance of impropriety. Mm-hmm. Um, I had an event one time and I was carrying a backpack that Frank's company had given him with the logo that Frank didn't want. And I Mm. had that backpack with me and I literally went, I realized after the fact that that was the bag I packed uh, like my food and my water in for the day, like doing five events in a row. And I left it at home and starved all day because I did not even want the appearance of promoting uh, that particular drug company. Mm -hmm. Because, you know what I mean? Like, it, this is your reputation. Yeah. Like, I think about that sacrifice or the donor money that we gave up that was legal, but people could have questioned your integrity, right? Mm-hmm. And then you hear this, and it's just like, oh, <laughs> it's so frustrating. They weren't going to go to jail, right? <laughs> yeah. How do you, it, it, it just, uh, I don't understand that mindset at all. And I won't. <laughs> I refuse to. <laughs> There it is. Goodbye, empathy. Um, wow. Thank you for telling me that story. That was truly incredible. <laughs> uh, I've dropped the link to Bree's thread in the show notes, listeners, if you want to revisit it as well. Uh, gah. This episode <laughs> of Rocket is also brought to you by Pictorial from Relay FM. If you like this show, there's a good chance you'll like Pictorial, because we all love art in some form or another, and learning the history behind influential art or art behind video games doesn't just belong in expensive classrooms or in museums. You can join hosts Quinn Rose and Betty Chen as they talk about the most interesting parts of art history. Neither of them went to art school, and they're breaking down the elitism surrounding beautiful art stories by sharing what they're learning about art every other Tuesday. 
Quinn is a podcast producer who is passionate about recognizing the artistry of both low and high art. And Betty is a building design manager who's also spent years guiding tours at the Art Gallery of Ontario. If you are interested in learning more about art with them, why not start with episode 26 on flag design in North America, or maybe episode 15 on the most famous stolen artifacts in the British Museum. Ooh, where where to even begin with that? Uh, this sounds like a really fun show, uh, and Betty and Quinn are great folks, so I hope that you check it out. You can find Pictorial to listen and learn yourself at relay.fm slash pictorial, or search for Pictorial wherever you you get your podcasts. Thanks so much, fam, Relay FM fam. Brianna, what are you doing this week? What am I doing this week? Um, let me think for a second. That's such a good question. Uh, so in addition to my job, uh, I am putting a, uh, I'm replacing the uh, top to my uh, Porsche 911 Targa. So I have a, a it's a 1980. It's a, oh God, I don't even know what year it is. I'm so tired. Uh, anyway, it's a target top from the 80s. And, you know, obviously the rubber seal for that after, uh, what is it, 34 years, uh, it's begun to decay. So uh, the thing is with the target top, they, they're they great. A target top is a top you can physically take off the car uh, when you want it to be a convertible and then you plunk it back in when you want it to be a hard top. Uh, they're great, but they leak like crazy. Uh, and now that I'm vaccinated, I want to be able to go on trips. I want to take my awesome air-cooled 911. Uh, so this is uh, this is very important to me. So uh, uh, I'm going to be like ripping all the rubber seals out <laughs> this weekend and trying to put it in. When I told my mechanic I was going to do this job. He he listened to me and he goes, "Okay, that's a that's a really tedious, hard job." <laughs> And I don't know if he's trying to tell me that's beyond my skill level, hmm. but we're going to find out one way or another. I mean, he knows that you're a programmer, right? Right. Yes. <laughs> and like working on cars is your therapy. So yes, being exactly. a tedious long job is not necessarily going to put you off it. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, what am I doing this week? I uh, One of my new Philips U-Lights is here. I set <gasps> it up in my living room today and it looks... Great. I'm going to send you a picture. Um, I don't know if I can put a picture in the show notes. We'll see. Um, and then I'm waiting for the second one, which should come tomorrow. Other than that, I am writing about um, Neopets drama, which I oh. think is going to make a good rocket dessert. If I can ever get this script together. It is, can it you keeps my memory? Growing. What is Neopets? Neopets is an online pet care uh, website. It started in 1999, uh, and it was extremely popular in its day, and it still pulls in quite a few users uh, who get adopt digital pets and sometimes feed them and pet them and care for them, and sometimes uh, enter them in cutthroat trading schemes to get rarer pets, uh, and sometimes are sold on the black market for a real life cash money. Uh, it is a very interesting website in that it is such a holdover from those early days of the internet. Like it's, if you look at it, like the, the login page, the main page is updated to HTML5, a lot of it is still in Flash. 
A lot of it is broken. If you are logged in and like navigating the pages, it is a a time machine to be on that website. Um, And the community is very dedicated to it. So uh, it's a lot to dig into and a lot to try to do justice to. So that's kind of going to be my my little project this week. That sounds much more interesting than replacing a rubber seal. But I mean, (laughs) (laughs) it depends who you are. Yes, I guess so. All right. Uh, Where can we find you online, Brie? Uh, you can see me at Brianna Wu on Twitter. If you want to support my work at Rebellion Pack, you can do that by going to helptherebellion.com. Mm-hmm. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at doomquasar and at youtube.com slash polygon. If you like this episode of Rocket, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts because uh, that really helps us uh, find more listeners for the show and grow and become better every week. Thank you so much for listening. This episode of Rocket is terminated. Terminated. <laughs>